0: Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brastadamas starts now.
1: We welcome in a man who has done plenty of traveling. And no, we don't mean in basketball. A McDonald's All-American in 2003 and the Mount West Conference Player of the Year in 2008, a 12-year veteran across the NBA and international ball, a current head coach at Northern New Mexico University, the 35-year young man who can still do a through-the-legs dunk. It was a wonderful day in the neighborhood when he replied to my request. I'll admit I was a little giddy, and that's because we're joined by the one and only J.R. Giddens. What's going on, man?
2: What's up, fellas, man? First up, I want to say uh, thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it.
1: No problem at all. You. It's an honor. It is a pleasure having you on. Uh, I really enjoyed looking into your career. And I want to begin because you started your athletics career at Yukon High School. And I say athletics because in addition to playing basketball, you actually did better in baseball, football, and track. This was an all-white school, and it seems like they didn't realize or act on the potential you had. You outscored. Three of the five starters combined, I'm going to say that again, combined, and yet you were still coming off the bench. No, you didn't hear that wrong. That was their loss as you decided to transfer to John Marshall High School in Oklahoma City for your last two years, and the transfer was the right decision as it helped you get the attention that you rightfully deserved, and I know Brad kind of wanted to touch on a question of your basketball story. Yeah, so
3: JR, before I let Coach get into the basketball parts of your story, I'm I'm curious, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white, but it was an affluent area. So it always felt like home to me, you know, never a place that I wanted to escape from. So I'm curious if you felt the same way growing up or was basketball kind of a happy accident that you cultivated into NBA talent? Or did you look at it as like a ticket out?
2: Um. Well, I mean, I always looked at basketball like it was my savior. And uh, just being in that situation out there in UConn, it was kind of a tough situation because, um out of all the sports that I played, they never really wanted me to to flourish or, or or thrive. You know, they were always they were always holding me back. You know, it was always some excuse. Like if I if I hit a home run, then I didn't touch first base. Or, you know, I, if I, if I was playing football, two people would pull my jersey, hold me to the ground. So I think being you know growing up in that white neighborhood uh, or going in a white school district just made me play harder and made me play tougher. And uh, I just you know used basketball as a, as a way to. To get out of there and uh, you know get on to better places.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know when coach. Has, oh, I was saying I, I know coach has a question about that basketball yeah. class that you were in.
0: Yeah, so yeah, obviously that that class of two thousand three, it's legendary, and obviously head by LeBron James. You were the number one, the four, number fourteen recruit, um, and you went heads up with him in the dunk contest in the game. Um, but your team, you you had Big Perkins, you had your boy Poe, mm-hmm. Humphrey, Shannon Brown, but you got to mm-hmm. tell me what's going through your head when you look at the East team, and it's got LeBron and CP and Lou Dang and Charlie Villanueva, and it's in Cleveland. Come on, thats you got to think right. it's set up. I know it's loaded on both sides, but when you see Chris and LeBron together, what, what's going right. through your head?
2: Hey, the crazy thing is, I'm like the biggest LeBron James fan. I love him. He's my favorite player, and uh, I mean, they should have him. I mean, he's the chosen one. I mean, have it in Cleveland. Let 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 him play in front of his home crowd. He's gonna draw a great crowd. I think it was, it was great, and he put on a show and did exactly what we thought he was gonna do, man. People don't realize LeBron James was like 240 pounds in high school. He was a he was a man child, man. That game was awesome, but I mean honestly looking you know in, in that position at that time man we didn't care who was on the other team everybody was trying to kill everybody and go at and go to everybody but it was a it was a good game man but i mean you know lebron's lebron so <laughs>
0: yeah and you know when you didn't hold back either i mean you 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 put in some work and i mean i love that in between the leg with your leg out like is that is that your like signature dunk is your, are you are you known for that like Cause like people do in between the leg, but you do that that long leg out type of style that I haven't really uh, seen other people do.
2: I don't know. I think my legs were just young back then and a little crazy and all over <laughs> the place. So <laughs> right now, if I when I dunk in between the legs, my body movement's a lot more controlled. But I still I still got it.
0: If I see anybody do that straight leg in between the leg, I'm gonna call it the J.R. Giddens because I don't really see anybody else do that one. Maybe it's because my socks were on so high, like it was like straight legged. And so
2: that was back <laughs> in my hot socks days. But that's before they started letting us wear tights. You know, now we wear tights. But back in the day, you had to have the hot socks, man. That was my style with the headband and the, and the curls for the girls that are no longer okay. there anymore.
1: <laughs> I like it. JR, you may think that you have old legs, but none of us have dunked a basketball. So you could literally go in the hey, gym hey, right speak now. Yourself. Brad, you've dunked? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, then Coach and I, you've you dug more than two of us combined. But not it's only it's did he, <laughs> there you-
3: go. There you go. There you go. Give me a little bounce.
1: <laughs> but not, not only was your athleticism uh, the reason why you're obviously great at all sports, and a lot of schools were after you, and ultimately it came down to Kansas and Oklahoma. One might thought that you'd be as sooner as you knew Calvin Sampson your entire life and lived in the state, but you committed to Kansas when Roy Williams was coach. Roy Williams would then leave before you arrived at school, but you stayed with your verbal commitment, which is rare kind of in today's day of age. We now know that Bill Self is a great coach, but prior to his arrival at Kansas, he had short coaching stints with Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Illinois. Was there no part of him that wanted to go to Oklahoma when you saw he was going to be coached? Well, I
2: mean, uh, that's a funny story behind that. I mean, you know, the reason why I wasn't going to go to Oklahoma is because um, I grew up playing versus Kelvin Simpson's son my whole life. Like we're the same age, so it was kind of like you know, a little too little too late, you know. Because I, but I did blow up at the last second. But Kansas, it just came off two Final Fours back to back, and Bill Self was a Oklahoma guy. We had a good a good in home visit. He ate some of my mom's home cooking, and you know, said the right things. Next thing you know, hey, yeah, he he sweet talked us so. <laughs> He's recruiting right. is the mom, right? Uh, man, I think so, because my mom was the toughest one, you know, the toughest uh, between my parents. So he had to definitely get her approval before my father's for sure.
1: Yeah, and, and you made the right choice at Kansas. And quick note on that final four, I wish that they had won, but I'm happy that Maryland bounced them out as we all live in that state. But you made an instant impact at Kansas, averaging 11.3 points and 3.6 rebounds. En route to all twelve, all Big Twelve Conference freshman honors, and unfortunately, Kansas lost to Georgia Tech in the Elite Eight. But I know Coach had another question he wanted to touch on about that particular game.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We just had Lynn Elmore on as so he was our last guest. Um, he was calling that game, and um, it's your freshman year. You had some incredible moments throughout the year. Michigan State was a big one. Uh, I think you all were two and four going heads up. You finished it with a yeah. flush. You led your team with 15 in that game. You had a clutch three to tie it, it's 16 seconds to go. You have a block at the end of regulation. Um, you ultimately come up short, Jaron Jack played huge. And they, I mean, I guess the ball just kind of fell their way in that final minute of, of, of overtime. But how did it feel like to be a freshman and play like so well in, in these in these crucial, crucial moments?
2: Man, the crazy thing is, I look back and I didn't even know how good I had it being in Kansas and having a great pastor with me, with Aaron Miles, and just being yeah. being being in that situation. Man, I look back and you know I had a lot of good teammates around me, and Bill Self did a great job of instilling confidence in me and just letting me shoot the ball with uh with freedom. And uh, you know, it was kind of crazy because you go from high school and you know no no matter what anybody says, nothing prepares you for the NCAA tournament. That's going from playing high school to playing college and next thing, you know, the guys that you're, you're looking at it on TV these guys that are older than you, bigger than you. Now you're playing versus them at a high level, And so I mean it was a it was a great stage to play on. I'm glad that uh you know my family got a chance to see me playing that game, those games and travel. I mean it's it's really an experience because that's the um that's the furthest that I've ever went in a NCAA tournament was my freshman year when we went to the Elite Eight. So like I said, man, I didn't even know how good we had it, but that shit is crazy. Oh excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> now
1: nah, it's okay. It's okay. The get the guests can cuss. We have <laughs> okay. Know. Um
2: My
1: bad. it was it was unfortunate that you guys lost, but JR, you did your part. You had a solid 15, four and four. So it was on your end. Unfortunately, that offseason you had knee and ankle surgery, which I, I think the average person doesn't realize how hard it is to do that and still perform at such a high level. But the following year, you still averaged 10.1 points a game, 3.8 rebounds. And I don't think people realize how impressive that is let alone versus D1 competition. When you don't have a preseason, you have to shake off that rust. Yeah. Unfortunately, that season, uh, Kansas would get upset versus, Burknell, versus Bucknell in the first mm-hmm. round of the tournament that year. I remember that was a bracket buster for me. Um,
2: yeah, I, and I played like trash, man. It was a tough one.
1: We don't touch on bad games. We only touch on the <laughs> highlights here. <laughs> I
2: keep I keep I keep it real funky over here, man. I didn't play the way that I needed to play, but you know it happens. We watched a lot of people's brackets, so it just shows you that's how March Madness is, man. You got to bring it every every single game because you know you never know what happens. And you know we should have we should have went pretty far that year, but I don't know. I think I had a sophomore slump anyway that year. That wasn't my points went down. It was crazy.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I don't want to touch on the next part, um, but I I think it is kind of a transformation point in your life. And that's the stabbing incident in May of 2005. Mm -hmm. But I want to shine the light on what a redemption story this is. Trying to defend yourself, you were stabbed in your right calf, requiring 30 stitches, severing your soleus, hitting an artery and slashing your Achilles. You were told you may walk with a limp the rest of your life and your basketball career was in jeopardy. Obviously, the story has a happy ending for your career. But many of us don't go through something this tragic. So, how did this change your outlook on your life and your basketball approach?
2: Well, I mean, I was, I was, uh, they had to rush me to emergency surgery. So, it was, you know, just a reality check of just a, a guy that it. went to a big time school at Kansas. And just, you know, sometimes you think you're in a position as an athlete to where you're safe in the city and you're not. And, um, So I just use that as, you know, just to dig deep, man. I remember just not knowing if I play basketball again and you know, just, you know, you see family members turned on you, you see, you know, friends, you know, that you thought were your friends kind of go away. And it just, it's just you and and your will at that moment. So I just reinvented myself. I went from like 185 to like 216, got in the weight room and just really changed my game from being just a shooter to an all-around player. And just, I look at it as, um, you know, the time to where I really had to find myself as a person. You know, I think that's As a basketball player, it was a time to where it was a pork roll to where it was like either I could go left or I could go right. And I had to concentrate on just, you know, getting my leg back and just, you know, obviously I never came back the same, I don't think, but I mean, I was still super athletic, but. I mean, it was just a lesson learned, man. And just like I said, I think that uh, I look at that scar every day and I just, you know, I'm thankful for that situation because I think it it was a turning point in my life to where, you know, I really realized that, you know, I had to change some things and, you know, just focus on basketball.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, first of all, from all of us, we're glad that you're okay. And that, you know, that serves as a reminder that, hey, you know, this could have been way worse. And I love the optimism that you take from that. And. I don't want to say that your basketball career suffered after that because, you know, eventually you and Kansas decided to part ways and New Mexico head coach Richie McKay called and believed that you were wrongly portrayed. You sat out a year, but boy, when you returned, you did not miss a beat. You averaged 15.8 points a game, 6.5 rebounds, and 2.3 assists. So I think of minor comeback or minor setback for a major comeback. But during that year... I know that there's a lot of time that you have, and I know Brad kind of wanted to touch on that.
3: Yeah, so I know the the NCAA transfer rules require you to sit out a year, you know, knowing a bit of your background. I'm curious what your mindset was like in that year, you know, a new guy in a new place. You're coming back from, you know, what could have been a catastrophic injury. You know, how did you spend your time sitting out that year? Well,
2: I mean – that year man i was just really hungry i don't i don't think i always tell athletes man if you ever lose that eye of the tiger that eye, you know that fire then you know that's when that's when it's over with so i just you know just dug deeper and you know the good thing is is uh i got a chance to practice every day with the team and you know rehabilitate and get better like and i feel sorry for my teammates because i used to come to practice like a mad hornet ready to everybody try to rebound and block everything and coach R- richie mckay he i promise you he let me talk so much trash every day i've been my teammates hated me sometimes i apologize but that was at a point where i was you know i had my foot on the gas and i was trying to get back to where i thought i needed to be so every day like people would be like man we don't feel like practicing today i'm like well you better bring it guy it because i'm coming today this look like, this is my game so you know I, every practice was a was a, a regular season game for me almost <laughs>
1: Can uh can we hear some of the trash talk things you said? No, nah, cuz you said we can't cut on so there. Oh, so yeah, we can. Us, us 3 can. The guests are always welcome. Too.
3: He's got a key. He's got to he's got to be in the action. He's got to be in the action to hear the trash talk. You can't just you can't just say it. Nah. Yeah, well I I,
2: that was that was it. That was the younger Jr. Now the older me, I'm, I have the more LeBron swag, laughing, playing, enjoying my teammates. But that was, you know, I'm from the Kobe area to where you err to where you just didn't want to like somebody, and you just found a reason not to like them, and then go out on the court and try to take it out on them. Like you'd be like, "What did this dude look at me wrong?" in warm up, and then you just <laughs> tweak off and, and go crazy. And he probably he probably didn't even look at me. I just made it up in my
0: head. So. Back. Well, you're in, you're in kill mode and you're you're going to New Mexico and you're in that, now the new man of that school. So I can imagine that that type of veracity you're bringing in every day in practice, knowing probably this is the best player on our team and, and he can't play this year. So he's going to kill us every day in practice.
2: And the bad thing is, I had another guy that transferred with me, so we were tag teaming them every day. And the, the, head, the, the, head, the head, the head coach loved it because we pushed the starters so much, like they knew they didn't have an off day. Because honestly, you know the talent level that I had and the other guy had, we were probably you know. A higher level than the starters, so it's like you know they didn't have any days off. So we were at their next every day, and we hey we took it personal. But some days they kicked our butts, some days we kicked their butts. But I mean, I love that man. That's basketball. Compet- just going out there and competing every day. Sometimes you get knocked down, but you you get up and you live to fight another day. And that's that's how my redshirt year was.
1: Yeah, and and I think that I think that actually shows because the the team success didn't reflect that. And Coach McKay was fired after a fifteen and seventeen season. And enter Steve Alford, who had a different philosophy. He was more about defense, and that led to a huge turnaround with a 24-9 record. It sounds like that trash talking did as well. You still did your thing, though. You're backing it up, averaging 16.3 points per game, 8.8 rebounds, 3.1 assists, and over a block and steal per game. This led you to becoming the Mountain West Conference Player of the Year. And then Jr you experienced what most Hoopers dream about when you got your name called as the 30th selection of the 2008 NBA draft by the Boston Celtics. As the final pick of the first round, you got a guaranteed contract, so you secured the bag, my man. No,
2: that was a that was a crazy moment, honestly. I, I mean, I was on the phone with my agent. I was actually supposed to be picked 28th. And so when they didn't pick me at 28, I'm starting to panic. Then they didn't pick me at 29, and <laughs> next thing you know, they they call my name. Everybody tackled me in the room. I I lost my earring. My phone actually froze. Like I mean, you know, as a, as a kid, you always you always dream of that day. I mean, I'm not even gonna lie to you guys. Every now and then, I go back and I just watch the video just to hear them call my name, and it's it's bananas. So I watch it with my kids and stuff because you know I'm old now, and they be like, "What? You can play." I'm like,
1: "Uh, yeah. Don't don't
0: play me. Real (laughs) question. You were one away from the second round.
1: Real question is what alcohol were you drinking that night?
2: You know what? Honestly, I did not drink that night. I I ended up having a party at the club. They announced my name. They played like the little Kanye West. Welcome to the good life. I walked in and I was just buzzing. I was buzzing so much. I bought everybody drinks that night. Well, look, I'm lying. They gave me credit. (laughs) They gave me credit to my drink. I was trip, about to right? say, yeah. look, Hey, look. They just called my Thank name in the job, but I didn't have no money. Yeah, yeah, poor, exactly. Baby. <laughs> now, <I'm laughs> my, look. They was looking at me like I had all the money. Look. No money, baby. No money. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, I've been,
1: you're like, I haven't signed the pen and paper yet, but the, like, team that that you dra- the team that you got drafted by is ironic because you worked out for Boston, and you received praise from Doc Rivers, who said you could fight for minutes right away, yet... He barely played you not only in game but in practices as well. And you said that you think Rivers didn't like your swag, which let's be honest, we all know that you have plenty of. But did you ever ask him why his praise for you for the workouts didn't carry over?
2: I don't know, because I'm a hard-working guy, and when I went down to the D-League, I dominated even the other draft picks that were there with me. I felt like I dominated them in practice, in the one-on-ones and the two-on-twos, but I just think that's a lesson to where I tell kids now, like, you know, my career probably could have went a different way if maybe I would have got along better with my coach or just tried to, like, in in that situation, you, you don't know how to really fit in because you're around Hall of Famers, and, you know, so in that situation, everybody looks at you like everything you're doing is wrong, and... You know i just like for me i'll say this on air man i i just got over at peace with doc not letting me rock but i'm like man you know high school all american first round draft pick rondo's out there i'm like got a 45 46 inch vertical and this man won't let me rock i mean i feel like he did everything to take away from my game wouldn't let me shoot threes told me i was just a defender like he didn't put me in that situation to flourish so i remember when i got traded to new york and they start playing Nate Robinson. And shout out to Nate. You know, that's my that's my guy. No no beef with him, but I'm 6'5". So you mean to tell me you trade a 6'5 guy for a 5'8 guy and he can get plugged into the system and play immediately? That just shows me that that man personally has something with me. And like I said, I'm finally at peace with that. I wish I would have got a chance to rock in the league because you see your friends that you've been playing with your whole life or – Guys that you've been better than turn into superstars and get get a coach to believe in them and, and put them in a system and they get better and stuff like that. And then you see another person, as in myself, where – my talent is damper. My confidence is taken from me, and you know, it's and then you, then you know, you it's hard to make the league again if you don't have any stats or anything. So now I got to get somewhere to where maybe somebody doesn't even like me or wants to try to plug me in the system, doesn't know me, and you're in training camp. So I mean, that that situation is crazy. I wish Doc would have let me rock. I know I would at least got at least five, six, seven more years in the league. Who knows? But it is what it is. So
1: it's it disrespectful. It's disrespect when he plays an injured Brian Scalabrini over you.
2: Yo, Scal, let me tell you the story. I, I used to make like eight, 800, 1,000 jumpers on game day just to put it on the suit. So Scal couldn't even walk that day, man. So um, I know it's my time. I see the rotations. I'm like, all right, I might get my chance to rock. Scow comes out the locker room like grimacing like uh, and i'll be telling Scott, i was telling scowl up in practice i hope he hears this he knows what it was <laughs> this man went to this man went to sit down on the bench before he could even put his butt down he was like "Scow, put him in the game in that moment i was just kind of like i'm gonna cuss right now in that moment i was like man fuck it like this dude is <laughs> off me fuck fuck this shit man he is not rocking with me look What's pop? Look, what's popping tonight? Look, what city we in? Like that was why my <laughs> had, Like, said, look, look, we gonna play a game today.
0: Might not be in the right.
2: gym. <laughs> we gonna play. <laughs> uh, it crazy, just seemed, crazy time,
0: man. It just seemed like such a perfect fit to back up Paul and be catching lobs so Rondo. You're the lob catching king. Like I used to play with you on two K. I'd get Paul out. I put you in because it, it would fit seamlessly with that team that they had in order, and it made so much sense to pick you at thirty. So. I understand what you're saying, man. Yeah, I mean, it is what it
2: is. I'm past it, but I mean, that man should have let me rock. I mean, we, especially as black men, man, I took, it took me 23 years to get drafted, man, five year, fifth year senior, do all of that. And now I'm, I'm just watching all the stars run by. I'm watching from the bench with a suit on. I, I mean, you really feel helpless, man, after, after 20 games goes by and then 40 games goes by. Like, you're trying to stay motivated, you're praying that you can get a chance, and then. I figure after, after it was my second year there, and I kid, we lost in the D-League championship. I had a monster double-double. I was shooting like 59% from the field in the D-League, just extremely dominant. It, showed, it knew, showed that I shouldn't be there, and it was like the last preseason game. I think this man tried to put me in with like two minutes and 43 seconds left, and I walked up there to the um, – to the check-in or wherever we check in at, and he was like you should run up there and i literally looked at him and i was like man i've been here for two years and you're gonna play me for two minutes and 43 seconds and you think that i should run up here like whatever bro do like you, uh, do what you want to do with me
3: how do you think that happens how do you think like certain players you know just get crazy love from coach you know regard regardless of the numbers they put up in practice or, or yeah. whatever relationship they have like how do you think that happens mm-hmm.
2: Look, that's why I tell kids, you got to watch. And I'm a coach now. So that's why I tell kids, you got to watch how you are with a coach. Like, you can rub somebody the wrong way, and they just, you know, they just not rock with you. I mean, it was the same way in my high school. I'm outscoring three of the three of the starters. I'm averaging 18. The person's in front of me is averaging 2.6, even though I thought that was – more racism, But at the end of the day, I mean, those people control your future. And this is how I'm as a wow. coach. Whoever's the best player is going to play. I'm going to let you rock. I'm going to give you confidence. I'm going to instill that in you. I instill that in my players. Like, I don't care where you from, what color you are. If you can go, I'm going to let you go. And so it's like I use those situations that I was put in, like, as a player. Now that I'm a coach, I try my hardest not to do that. And even when some of my players kind of do things that hurt me because we're all human, you know, like once we get to practice, I try to let that stuff slide and just look at them as the as the player because you know I, I'm a girls' coach. They like Instagram pictures and and a whole right, lot of stuff. Right. These new kids and they uh, they, they, they the do a lot is. of. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff to where it's like, what, you know, or, you know, but when it comes to t- practice time and as a coach, it's my job to develop that player and leave them better than when they when they came with me and, and make them better. That's that's my only goal. I could, I could care less. I'm going to let I'm going to let my best players rock, you know, so that's
3: that's actually a perfect segue to a question I had, you know, as you look to put your stamp on the program that you're coaching now, you know, what kind of priorities do you have to turn the team into a powerhouse and. How do you have, you know, some of the experiences that you've had, you know, shape how you recruit? And, you know, if you have a player that, you know, is sort of maybe is is beefing with you a little bit. Like, how do you how do you let your experiences shape all that?
2: Well, the thing is, I think I'm <clears throat> I'm just really real. So it's kind of hard for my players to beef with me, you know, because I check that. Right. I checked that at the front door, you know, like I'm uh, I see the better relationship that you have with some of them and the better communication, it's going to make things easier. Like, you know, I might have a girl that doesn't show up to practice, doesn't call, don't text. And I'll just relate that to life. And I'll be like, Hey, you know, if you do that in life, you're not going to have a job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how are you going to feed your family? Like, you know what I'm saying? Now, you want to be mad at me because I make you run? Well, I'm I'm making you run to teach you this lesson. You're running because of the mistake that you made, but I don't want you to make want to make this mistake in life. So it's just, you know, the way that I am with my players. You know, I, I want them to be the coach that they want to run through the wall and play for. You know, i right. very very down to earth and very reasonable because you know uh, I was you know I was a wild guy, so I understand everything. Like I I tell them sometimes I'm like, hey man, just be safe tonight. Don't get in trouble by the police or anything. Get home. if you need a ride like call me but look we're gonna wake up and we're gonna bust our ass at practice you know we're gonna do those things I know you're human you want to get out you want to have fun or some days you just have a bad day so I mean I'm just trying to you know bring such a a different level to coaching to where it's like I'm not their friend but I'm their mentor that's very understanding and so it's just you know I think it kind of shocks them sometimes because you know I'm I'm very, very chill, maybe too chill, you know, like sometimes they'll miss a study hall and I'll just be like, all right, man, you missed it. I'm not tripping. But if it turns into two or three, like I get it, you know, like or you call right. the play in the morning and, they, and they're half dead. She's like, coach, I got a headache. I'm like, no, you're hungover. But, you know, like, look, <laughs> I'm going to run you. So, look, you might as well stay home and get some sleep because when I see you, we going to run. But, you know, don't try to play.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know and, what I mean?
2: Like, coach knows, coach knows. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, you're hip. You're hip. And those tactics have worked. I mean, in the first year, the team saw improvement. They went from 5 to 18 to 7 and 19. And, I mean, JR, you've learned a lot of lessons in life in the NBA. You also played overseas, uh, playing a decade of basketball virtually all over the globe for more than 20 teams. So the landscape in basketball in foreign countries is definitely different. Besides the language barrier, there were payments made to incentivize teams on winning, something that's unheard of, at least to the mainstream media here. And it certainly seems like you've picked up on the tricks to get your money and take control of the situation, which I really respect. Before we end your basketball playing career, I want to ask, do you know your career high in the NBA?
2: Man, do I have one? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> I looked. I
1: looked. What is it, like 12? 11. You scored, you got 10 points and nine rebounds March 19th, 2010, versus the 76ers. That was the team with Iggy, Drew Holiday, Elton Brand.
2: And I didn't look, I was the crazy thing is I just tore my knee, and uh, six weeks to the day of me tearing my knee, I get traded two days later. They got me on the court playing versus Celtics. So when I was with New York, you see how I could rebound, like, you know, like score, but I mean, Oh, oh,
1: damn. Unfortunately, we had to get JR out of here. So we weren't able to do the funny rapid fire, the this or that at the end uh, that we normally do with athletes. But make sure you follow him on social media. You can find him on Twitter at jgid4, J-G-I-D-D, the number four. And on Instagram at underscore coach, underscore Giddens. He is a great follow on both. We appreciate him taking some time with us. Make sure you listen to some other shows we have coming up. We have some great guests and stay safe.